Hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome back to another edition of Pizza at the Pagoda. My name is Chris Graham. We got a packed house here tonight. Ben Carswell, Christian Jasper, James Watson, Jason Owens, Mike McCullen. Six voice, six? Yeah, six. I can count. Six voices you're going to get to hear on the podcast tonight. Wrapping up a pretty darn spectacular week at Gateway, uh -huh. at least once they decided to start racing anyway at Gateway and quit wrecking mm -hmm. each other. Uh, We'll start things off, as always, with Mr. Ben Carswell. What are you drinking tonight, brother? Uh, I am drinking a Abita Amber Ale. A what? An Abita, an Amber Ale. It's a New Orleans Brewing Company. I'm fancy. <laughs> Just wait till we get to Mike. Christian, what is sitting in front of you? <laughs> I had to go mild today, just drinking some uh, ginger, uh, sorry, some uh, Bingle spice tea. I don't think I've ever tried that. Add it Give to it the a list. shot. Not Add bad. it to the list of things to try. James Watson, you're drinking and driving at the moment. What are you drinking while driving pretend race cars? <laughs> uh, vodka. <laughs> no, I'm playing just uh, a little bit of Mountain Dew Cold Red. I haven't tried that one either. I'm a, give me the OG. Jason, what do you have in front of you? I have a Kroger lemon seltzer water. I was about to say, if Kroger's making beer, I might be down to try one, if only one of them. <laughs> Something has to kill me, and it might as well be cheap swill from Kroger. Like what, Mr. Wine and Cheese, what do you have in front of you? I'm drinking something very appropriate for wine and cheese. A Cronenberg 1664 left over from my weekend of watching Le Mans. Uh, yes, that, we're going to talk a little bit about Le Mans, too. I the think finest here. French beer. Uh, it's actually crappy. I think Jason's called it French Coors Light. Sounds about right. I, I, I'm not far off, though. I got a Bush beer in front of me. None of that latte shit, though. Oh, we, bless. We, we drink the good stuff, man. High test. Wait, um, you get some bush apple? No, no. Don't fruit the beer. You get a hoe garden because it's a great beer. You don't need to fruit it. That's the closest I think we've had to a food discussion on the show called pizza. <laughs> we, may, we may need to rectify that. Uh, all right, boys. The Bomberito Auto Group 500 Worldwide Technology Raceway, the artist formerly known as Gateway. Joseph Newgarden, your race winner, Pato Award second, Will Power rounding out the podium, and oh my goodness, um, is calling it a shit show inappropriate? No, I think I used that a number of times while watching the race. Yeah, I think that's the general opinion. It was kind of a shit show. I'd call it a dumpster fire, but that's insulting to dumpster fires. Uh, yeah, especially the first third of the race um, and not just the racing or the race itself, but hopefully we'll get to talk about it. But the stewardship and race administration was piss poor as well. They exist. <laughs> uh, Allegedly. Yeah. Uh, well, let's... Allegedly. <laughs> We're back to it. Man, that only took us like 90 seconds to get our first allegedly into the show. Recapping here. Caution number one, from lap three to lap 14, for contact between the 15 and 18, 
in turn two. Contact between car four and car 20 on the back straightaway. Uh, two separate wrecks, 12 laps long. Caution number two, lap 17. So we got a whole three laps under the green flag before we did four more under yellow for Jacques Debris. Uh, and I believe that, was that the Pagano incident? Caution number three, lap 21 to lap 25 for a light malfunction. Four laps to clear a debris caution. Five laps for a light malfunction. I IndyCar, that one's on you too. Then they settled in uh, 26 laps in the books until we did another eight laps for Ed Carpenter's accident in turn number four. Back to yellow from 65 to 75 for a three-car incident in turn one that had major championship implications. And the sixth caution flag of the night from lap 201 to 209 for Alexander Rossi. Once we got past lap 75, I have to say the racing was pretty darn good. It just seemed like everybody had their head up their ass. Yeah. Yeah, it's like they they still had that uh, summer vacation rust on. Uh, do we owe Nashville an apology at this point? No. No, no, and I want to specifically <laughs> talk about that because there is a common theme between all of those restart nonsense incidents that happened at Worldwide Tech and Nashville. And it is the individual who was leading in about 70% of those restarts that packed up the field. IndyCar has to do something about that, and they cannot allow Herta to run the classic willpower, I'm going to bunch up and pack up the field maneuver because it's destroyed close to a dozen cars in two races by not enforcing some sort of restart standard. Uh, yeah, that's the, it's sort of the age old discussion though, isn't it? Of if you're the race leader, it's your prerogative to start any time from this, from point A and point B on the racetrack. I completely agree with the start part, but if you're going to back it down that far behind the pace car and not maintain pace car speed, there needs to be something done about it. Yeah, I don't know why they the regulation isn't once the pace car leaves, you keep going pace car speed and then go when you feel like going exactly. as opposed to cause it. Because the guys at the front can kind of figure it out. The guys in the back all get screwed. Yeah, Sebastian Bourdais has been a launching pad several times this season because of it. Uh, he really has. I... I I am almost afraid to see what happens to Borde next season returning to Foyt if RHR is not in the car for Andretti because the cartoon anvil's going to someone and it looks like Borde is kind of likely candidate. The, the thing with the, the consistency of this all being Herta is the dude got launched into a catch fence at Iowa last year on a botched restart that was slowed down that they waved off the restart and the dude found himself into catch fence like and now he's the one doing it he's like yeah it, it's someone's gonna get hurt you became the very thing you meant to destroy pretty much <laughs> is it a reasonable thing for her to, to do though and I, I will gladly take a little bit of a contrarian point here if you're gonna get away with it if race control is going to do nothing about it, why wouldn't you take every opportunity possible?
possible to ensure you keep the lead that you work so hard to build? 100%. Of course you should. That's why I said it's a race administration issue. Is that on Kyle Novak as race director? Is that on the stewards? Ultimately, uh, I, and without having completely dissected the IndyCar series rulebook, I don't know if the stewards are allowed to act without something referred to them. Like in F1, the stewards can't just go, that's wrong. Something has to be referred to the stewards first before they can do something about it. it should the stewarding process possibly change where the driver steward, because one of the three is always a semi-recent driver. Should the, you know, Max Pappas up there in the stewarding booth be able to go, nope, no good. I think they need to give them clear direction via the rule book first that says, and the, the drivers even talked about this after Texas, that there's no explicit instructions on maintain speed or maintain X, uh, 0.3 second gap or maintain X number of feet gap. It doesn't exist. The drivers talked about it post the melee in Texas. Um, so you would have thought IndyCar would think about doing something about it then, but nope, they haven't. It's, it's in the rule book. I, I'm looking at I, I You're looking at it rulebook. now? Oh, that's even worse. 7.713. At the appropriate time, the pace car lights will be turned off, indicating the intent to restart the race. The leader is required to maintain the pace lap speed until reaching a point designated by IndyCar near the start-finish line where the leader shall accelerate smoothly back to racing speed and the green condition will then be declared. To the rulebook. So they're just not doing anything about Enforce it. Enforce the fucking rules. Sorry. <laughs> I, no, <I'm>, I, <laughs> profanity is not a problem here. Let's, let's kind of be honest here. They are watching the restarts. Takuma Sato was issued a penalty on lap 10 to yield track position for jumping a restart. Somebody else got uh, got that as well. Somebody else besides uh, uh, was it RHR or I forget who it was, but there was another car that got a penalty for going early. Take a look. Uh, the only other penalties on the IndyCar official race results is the avoidable contact penalty to mm. the 20 of Ed Carpenter. And an unsafe release on the 51. Uh, that was a yield position penalty back to uh, on lap 58. Maybe I already had Jack Harvey in that car in my mind. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, that was it. that penalty. And I don't remember that one, actually, but when that was issued to Grosjean. But uh, ultimately, oh, I guess that was when they were banging wheels coming out of the pits. But... Uh, you can't, IndyCar can't have this double standard game. And I guess that's where the issue comes into play. You can't give Sato a penalty for jumping a restart when the reality is, did his speed change relative to himself? If Colton Hurd is going to stack the field up and Sato's running in 15th, he's right in the middle of the accordion. I, I don't know how you make that call to say we've gone from this is a jump start, but the leader can back everybody up. 
I don't know how you score a jump start that way. I you mean, make it up as you go along? That's that's kind of what it seems like. Yeah, you just gotta have a guy up there watching it who goes, eh, wrong. That's really all you can do. Is that Kyle to... Novak's job as race director? I mean, they have onboard telemetry. NBC could tell you how fast Colton Herta is going at the beginning at the restart. NBC could tell you. They this they, they have data upon data that can be like, hey, you didn't maintain pace car speed. Wave off the restart, you go to the back of the line and we try again. Is that too stiff of a penalty? Is I don't it, so it, it, I, I, it'll definitely get their attention, that's for sure. I mean, if if that's the penalty going into the race and everybody knows it, I mean, the I guess the alternative is like you wreck. I mean, how many millions of dollars worth of carbon fiber so far this year? Like, I don't know. I, well, let's. I'll play devil's advocate here again. Is there anything more hold your breath exciting than a restart in the IndyCar series right now? Not when it's like this. I don't think it's in a good way, though. You know, like, it's not... Yeah, it's in the, thank God we have the arrow screen so that the, an in-plate doesn't smash somebody's helmet. Like, no, it's, that's, not like... it's that kind of exciting right now. But then we could just leave like that in-plate hanging like... around on the track. Thank you, right? Like, <laughs> the thing came off... I, I don't know. It, I, I have this theory now that there is... Um, decision fatigue in race stewardship at at the like the top flight level in some motorsports because there's so many data sources between the uh, 15 onboard cameras, the 15 cameras at the track, the telemetry they have access to that sometimes they just can't see that there is a giant piece of debris on the track. And that even kind of separate that out a little bit though especially on the ovals, they have spotters, officials that are in radio communication with race control that are going, hey, there's a hunk of something out here. If the person misses it, the person misses it. However, I think that information overload, that maybe that is a realistic problem when you can't process that much data in one instant. So. Is it a matter of reducing the data, or do we possibly automate the officiating process? I mean, you can't for jump start. That's what we've been talking about with track limits for a long time. That, you know, how hard is it for you to go to the problem areas? You put sensors down, you put sensors on the car, and if you trip it, that's a track limit violation. You know, and then you have the telemetry on on board you have the automated timing and scoring i mean hell we shut down the truck race for it because they didn't have timing and scoring even though all the lights were there everything was there if we don't have electricity to everything in the track we can't run so that's the trucks this is indycar supposed to be a little bit more high tech than the trucks so why can't we map the telemetry to the start and when we go hey this guy went for him, yield position, if he gained something. If he didn't, we go to his 
strategist or his engineer or whoever, and we go, hey, watch it. We saw that. Be careful. You do well, it okay. again. You're getting into line. So the example of Colton Herta, though, backing the speed up on the restart, should that be an automatic that is flagged electronically? Pace car speed is 75 miles per hour. If you decrease your speed as the leader, if your speed drops to drops, I, I'm, I can see the formula in Excel in my head. If X less than 68, throw the flag. Or if it's under pace car speed for duration, because, you know, it, things fluctuate. So if it's under for a, a sustained duration or it doesn't, average that you're at pace car speed or something yeah it, it that should be an automatic and they've got the technology to do it i think if I you're under pace car speed a green cell if you're under pace car speed when the green flag flies and you're the leader wave it off or, or throw another yellow waving it off is a bad idea at that point throw another yellow some type of penalty and Go back and do it again. I think a pretty easy penalty to serve is like F1 does its time penalties. I know that can be tough at ovals because it's such a things get packed up. You're not getting five seconds out like you would at a road course. But these are where the restarts are most dangerous is road is ovals and street courses because we were all boxed in. There's nowhere to go. So let's say you hey you didn't maintain pace car speed until you accelerated until you took the green next time you come into pit it's five seconds or if you're not paying again it's five seconds on the end of your race and you better drive like hell i i think a time penalty may be more appropriate there because going back to the discussion of the cautions five laps because they couldn't because they forgot to turn off the caution lights it's in that that's part of the rule book is that if the caution flag flies there is a certain basically they have to go a certain number of laps because they do they sort of do the nascar pit rule of lead lap cars get to pit lap down cars get to pit plus you have to have the pack up lap plus the lap coming back to green so you're at least four laps to run a caution flag you want to do that for every jump start? Hell, at a place like Road America, that's you're losing. You're losing daylight. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I I don't know that throw the caution and re rack it is necessarily an option, but there has to be something somewhere that that we can do. Yeah, they have many options at their disposal to give penalties. Do you think post-race data analysis would work better? Because with, with something like this, like as big of an issue as this has been um, in the past few races, um, uh, Mugello, when F1 ran there, is the first thing that came to mind. I think for consideration of rule changes, maybe. But I think it's a very bad idea to start saying to the fans, 
you watch this guy do donuts on the front stretch, you watch these three guys spray champagne on the podium, two of those three are now 15th and 16th. You can't undo the moment. And a big part of that that we sort of have to put in the back of our heads is the Indianapolis 500. There's no way you can tell the fan who wakes up on Monday morning and looks at ESPN and it says, winner DQ'd at Indy. That's, that's not, it's not front page news on ESPN the next morning. So the winner of the 500 has to go to victory lane. Your running order has to be as close to official as possible as soon as that last car crosses. Yeah, but that's the whole thing that, like, NASCAR is doing. with Like, oh, we won't take the win away. We'll just encumber the win. Like, it's the whole thing that, that NASCAR did. And I don't think we necessarily want to be emulating. And they don't even do that anymore. They will take a win away post-race. Uh, yeah, I, I, I don't know. The whole idea of data analysis is a little... I, I think it's great. No, I think... Naked. But right, you you should. They need to do some data analysis. Analysis. Holy crap! Are you <laughs> sure this is seltzer water, God. <laughs> they need to do the data analysis now through the end of the season. They need to include an update to the rule book and says, say this is the process. This is what the penalty is going to be. We will adjudicate it live during the race, um, and then they need to have a system where they do that. Um, or not, or just let it be the open wheel version of boys have at, right? Uh, which I'm not totally against, other than issues of potentially flying race cars, which that's sort of where I draw the line of this can't happen. There's some things that you look at in the sport and you say this shouldn't happen. Mm -hmm. uh, a fluke heartbreaking. Colton Herta talking about a part that he possibly mileaged out or something like that. That's a fluke. Should that happen? No. But it does. That's what makes it a sport. It's why you don't run the race on paper. At the same well, time, there are some that's why things that to the can't hospital. happen. Yeah. Uh, yeah, they almost killed a James Hinchcliffe because of a part mileaging out. So, it, there are certain things, that, so that's what I'm saying. Certain things can't happen. You can't have flying race cars. You can't have a flag man almost getting run over to wave the checkered flag because it looks cool. I've never understood why they continued to do that at that race, bro. But to be fair, that race rarely finishes close at the line. Usually the the gaps are big enough that that's never going to happen or rarely happen. Well, not, not, I mean, can we pivot speaking about Le Mans to the fact that Sophia Flourish absolutely got her car destroyed twice by people that were in over their heads and like because she had gone upside down and backwards into a, a camera stand, just kind of shook it off and then calmly called the pits on the in-car <laughs> phone. Like, 
that had me nerves of steel. <laughs> yes. That had me tripping. That young woman she is, is a badass. Yes. <laughs> badass is 100% way to describe her. That had surgery on her back after going airborne and backwards through a camera stand, broke her back, had surgery, and was racing the next year and is now racing prototypes. And that team isn't bad. I think they finished 10th last year. They're not bad. But she got absolutely destroyed. And I kind of get the the initial impact with the, the G-Drive car. It was wet. It was, I think, heading into the Porsche curves. Yeah, mistakes happened there. But the 74 plowing into her while she was off the racing line, not even on the racing line, off the racing line, is... Yeah, attempting to pass in a slow zone, like, they should have gotten parked for that. Yeah, they got 10 seconds. You want to talk about weird stewarding. 10 seconds. And that 26 lived to kill Jan Magnuson, too. <laughs> like, that G drive was a wrecking ball. How about JPM uh, going uh, all uh, jet dryer on the Triple Crown and saying because he won the Pro Am, he's now a Triple Crown winner? Oh, what is this discussion? 15th overall? That good enough. I won the Pro Am. You didn't even win LMP2. <laughs> He the Grand Duke of Austria won the LMP2. <laughs> I asked you guys, I said, here we go, should a Lamar win that isn't overall count? No. And one of you jumped in and said, uh, no, it won't count, but if JPM gets a class win, he'll immediately go, I won the Triple Crown. And he did. Exactly he didn't even he win did. the class! He won Pro-Am! It's so ridiculous, too. He's like, oh, I won this. I won that. You're Juan Pablo Montoya. Of course you won pro He put out a press release. (laughs) (laughs) Really? (laughs) Oh, my God. You know what? Can we talk about how much he hates Schumacher, that he's literally shoving his son into F1 to go beat Vic? He is not. Oh, his son's an Italian F4. Oh, man. And uh, he was like, well, he'll be there raising Mick soon. Like, let it go. <laughs> I love Juan Pablo. He's awesome. Uh, yes. Uh, I'm trying to wrap my head around. If I'm going to be Mr. Devil's Advocate tonight, I'm trying to wrap my head around how I could spin Montoya claiming a victory in something and then claiming a triple crown because of it. I, I got nothing. I, you want to hear my antagonistic hot take about the Triple Crown? Yes. Go for it. All right. All the old Triple Crown winners, a.k.a. Graham Hill, and all the people who've done, like, two legs of the Triple Crown, especially in the 30s and 40s and 50s, and even up to the 70s to a degree, is way less impressive than Alonso and JPM doing it. Doing two legs and two and a half or whatever Montoya did. Because the cars are so much more specialized and the racing is so much more different. Completely different now. Like Graham Hill essentially could have gone taking the same car with minor modifications to Le Mans 
Monaco and Indy. Like, it's not that different. And then Montoya goes out there in some whacked-out LMP2 in whatever class he won, whatever made-up wet class, <laughs> ratio class they have. He wins Monaco in the 2000 Williams F1 car, wins Indy twice in two different eras, in totally different cars. Alonso wins Le Mans twice, Wins WEC overall in an LMP1 car and two F1 championships plus Monaco in is we all consider to be one of the best eras of F1. Fair in terms of Alonso had no competition. I was gonna say the only competition Alonso had was Toyota's reliability record in LMP1. That's it. That's all he had, and the seven car that Toyota kept nerfing for two years. That they at least they finally won, but guys, you have to hear. So, this is translated from Marco Motor, but the direct quote from Montoya <laughs> for me, it is the triple crown. Whoever likes it well, and whoever doesn't like it too. We went and we ran the same 24 hours as everyone else, and we won the race. No you matter well, okay, let's, ignoring the um, silliness of I won a Pro-Am class, should a GT win count? If you win GTE Pro or whatever the hell they're calling it now, should that count as the Triple Crown? No. Oh. No, but it, I, no, however. It has more credibility than it has more credibility. <laughs> I mean, does does that Montoya gets laughed at? Does a GT class win get you an asterisk? I think it gets you an asterisk that you can claim the triple yeah. crown, but you won it with a class you didn't win the it's overall the race. Flush that goes I inside the still crown. got the Rolex, bud. Yeah, still it got the Rolex. Winner. It says I've got a trophy, a plaque, or whatever the hell they give you that says "Winner 24 Airs Dumont." So, I, I mean, is this where we actually need to get Wes on the horn to come talk? They had some super silver or creepy copper or whatever <laughs> FIA uh, <laughs> driver designation that, like, the guy's actually a, a retired pro driver, but he so, qualified as an AM for some reason on the team. Well, so in their team, Dragon Speed, you had Ben Hanley, Juan Pablo Montoya, and Heinrich Hedman. And Heinrich Hedman doesn't even have a Wikipedia page. <laughs> uh, do you want to hear about the, uh, one of the other cars in LMP2 Pro-Am was the Inter-Europol Polish bakery car. The Polish bakery car, and I love them. It was the son of the CEO, some sports car racer, and Alex Brundle. That's what is, what is that? Pro-Am as you get. That's what Montoya was doing. You're racing the son of a baker. <laughs> so you have it's no not idea who his teammate is here. I have no idea who the third one is. Heinrich Hedman to the Googles. You are the son of a motherless goat. He have a biography. You're claiming that you won Le Mans. Like, 
Yeah, you won Le Mans against a bunch of rich dentists. Like, it, you did. All this would be like winning a class at the Indianapolis 500 that was solely constituted by eight Dr. Jack Miller. <laughs> <laughs> I, I mean, speaking of, let's let's preview. <laughs> let's give the 30 second preview of next week's show. Uh, we'll be out at the Road to Indy weekend at New Jersey Motorsports Park, where there will be another reference to Dr. Jack Miller. Two weeks in a row, we will get the racing dentist on the podcast, or at least his name brought up on the podcast. That's spectacular. Yeah, you don't want to miss that one. All right, let's let's shift gears a little bit here, because we've been ranting for almost a half hour already. Um, at what point in this race, and this is deja vu, throwbacks to indianapolis alex palu was looking okay championship was eh, maybe sort of ish within reach and then it happened uh renas vk getting into palu and scott dixon and whole oh, buddy we've got a i don't know what maybe five car championship run over the last three totally. weeks of the season? Easily. It, easily. I kept Absolutely. waiting for him to replay that wreck with the like the incoming uh, torpedo <laughs> noise and explosion. <laughs> they, just, it, it, they had to do that on, on the broadcast, and they, they missed the opportunity. Yeah, we're, we're looking at a now truly, I would think, five, potentially five-car battle for the championship. New points leader coming out of Gateway, Pato Award at 435 points. 10 back is going to be Alex Palou. Uh, my math skills stink, so I'm going to say 22 back, I believe, is Joseph Newgarden in third. Scott Dixon is the first driver below the 400-point mark, but he's only about 40 points out. Marcus Erickson, a little closer to 60. Uh, actually, I believe it is 60. Uh, is it truly game on here? A five-man fight over the last three races? Allegedly. <laughs> and we got, and we have some interesting races coming up too. We really Port do. I mean, we haven't been to Portland for a year, so I think you know, it, guys, there are going to be guys who haven't seen Portland. Uh, Who goes so they, airborne through the first turn at uh, Portland this year? Uh, VK. Can't be Marco. <laughs> can't be Marco. Thank you. Uh, uh, man, you know that's that may actually have to be uh, one of our picks of the week here. We'll add it to the anchovies <laughs> and race winners. Is who is who goes flying through the chicane at turn one and and actually <laughs> flying? I'm assuming completely airborne because that's the only way they're going to do it. Sebastian Bourdais Concord Award. <laughs> oh man, are you looking up Henry Hedman like I am? No, I gave Is up. My literature you find in the of Hedman. Oh my goodness, the Sebastian Bourdais Concord Award. <laughs> Amazing. I can get behind that. Uh, <laughs> so I'm actually looking to see what happened in 2019, and. Willpower one, Rosenquist, Rossi, Perda, New Garden were your top five. Piggott, Pagano, Least, Lice, I forgot how to pronounce his name because I haven't thought about him. 
until just now. Sebastian <laughs> Bourdais and Charlie Kimball rounded out your top ten two years ago. So Mateus laced with a top ten. Top that eight. He finished eight. That race had to be weird. That was about the epitome of bad point cards. Yep. And then you had RHR, Harvey, Hinch, Daly, Veach, and Greyhall all out with contact. And Ferrucci from a mechanical. That sounds about more like it. Yeah, that was a... I barely remember that race. I drank a lot. <laughs> it kind of oh, felt like a fever dream. Uh, you know what? Of late, it seems like you have to drink a lot to get through these IndyCar races. I... I I don't know what the deal is with the drivers out there, but driving standards have not been real good. Race officiating standards have not been real good. Are we due for some sort of a let's not suck this weekend, guys? I, yeah, I, I kind of feel like it's overdue. I, I, I don't think I am ever going to forget the last time they were at uh, Fontana, the Mav TV 500. Yes, it was like what 2014, 2015, 2015. Uh, 15, yeah. Oh yeah, Graham Hall breaks a whole ass fuel pump. Oh, we just missed it, bro. Uh, yes, that was Ryan Briscoe's acrobatic show into the infield as well. Yes. A hole he dug that car dug a hole so big he could lay down in it. Yeah, yeah, that was kind of. Mm. I I don't know how I felt how I felt about that. That was that was creepy. Well, it it was something for sure. But <laughs> <laughs> looking ahead to Portland, though, it, I would imagine that we probably have some drivers that we go. You should be pretty good. We're back to a natural terrain road course-ish. Uh, not a ton of elevation change, but it's not a walled-off street course. It's bad, fast, and quite frankly, one of my favorites to watch. That turn, that chicane at one, two, three complex, that's going to be interesting. That's, I will I forever also call it the G.I. Joe's. Yes. Absolutely. Without question. Yes, the G.I. Joe's 200. Um, <laughs> what are we thinking from a championship contender's perspective? Is this a I have to survive to Long Beach? I mean, could we literally see bad racing out of this because the drivers are concerned about their championship position? No, because that's five guys. The other guys are going for wins. And then you have the um, the race for the last $1 million award uh, down there at the 21, 22, 23 spot as well. So it, there's going to be plenty of good racing. I don't think Pelot can afford to take it easy either. He's going to have to, like, break out of that really comfortable stride he's been in where he's just taking it easy. He's going to have to actually like be aggressive because last week, but apart from like Dixon being on the podium is the worst thing that could have happened. He got pinpointed 
and his guy directly behind him and the guy who's had probably the fastest car all year and has had terrible luck in New Garden won. That was the worst result he could have had. He has to go out and get a good finish, like a podium or a I, win. I, I agree. I, I think we're going to be seeing a new championship leader. If if not after this race, it, it'll be sw- switching up every race. Does Ganassi have the raw speed to just go out and try and win this year? I don't think it's out of the question. I, mean, I think they do. It's just... That was and I only asked because Marshall Pruitt brought it up earlier this week that other than the last time, the last race he won, the last few weeks, the Chip Ganassi cars have not been, even the win in Nashville wasn't, they were just going out there and outpacing everyone, right? Like, I don't know. I mean, clearly from a, a short run speed, Pato and the AMSP team has it figured out, right? But it's going to be interesting. What's the? I don't have the schedule in front of me. How many laps and what's the? What do the fuel windows look like? It oh, is. And I just had it. Hundred and ten laps. Um, and probably two pit stops, maybe three. Couldn't tell you exactly. Uh, so the last race was 105, and the uh, top five all two stopped it. Oh, so I wonder if that's the reason for the extra five laps to bring in a uh, three-stop strategy. You had a couple of guys three-stopping. Piggott did. I don't know how the hell Lice got it. Mateus Lice did four stops yeah, and finished four. eighth. I think one of those was an extra stop off that first lap incident, though. Yeah, uh, possibly. Uh, Max Chilton had four. Tony Kanan had four. Marco Ed Jones had five. Sato made six. <laughs> I, now, obviously, there were some contact issues there that that's going to kind of spell certain doom for your race and, and whatnot, but I, I'm it's going to be interesting. Ray, Ray Hole is a bit of a wrecking ball in that race, too. He got a penalty where he took out the 7, the 5, and the 26. I, lo- I love the uh, citation here on Wikipedia that says clarification needed, but it says Graham Ray Hall was given a time <laughs> penalty to where instead of finishing behind cars 7, 5, and 26, who were terminally disabled behind him, he finished behind those cars instead. So. That sentence makes no sense. <laughs> but I like that was one of the craziest first turn. It, I mean, that was a pure Arca break turn. He just drove right into him. Yeah. Yeah, he did. And then the 2018 race was the Marco gets airborne and Dixon sees his championship uh, saved by friggin' Dixon magic. Something I I don't think we can discount about Portland is the fact that it is so ridiculously quick. Uh, it, it almost drives, at least from a a 
far control standpoint, sort of like an oval, to the point that the race, the, the circuit, I should say, holds the all-time record for closest two-car and three-car finishes in series history on a road track. When Mark Blundell beat Gilles Deferrand by 0 .027 seconds, and Raul Bozell was third in 0 .055 seconds back, basically three wide across the line in 97. That was a good race. That, that race was fantastic. But my point is, this is not the kind of standard set them off into turn one, everybody's going to spread out, and we're going to see how strategy plays out and who goes in the fuel saver. By extending the race to 110 laps, I think they forced that three-stop strategy to be the requirement. You're going to I mean, have these to are stop three sub- times. You might as well go balls out for that at home. Yeah. I mean, these are sub-minute laps. But with that, how many, how many cautions do you think that they're going to throw? Because Lord knows there's a high chance of something happening, something like that happening on lap one. Last race in 2019, there were only three cautions. Uh, the cautions from lap one to lap 11 for the dumpster fire. Second caution was from lap 14 to 16 uh, for the uh, RHR incident in turn one. And then the third and final caution was from lap 98 to lap 100 for, you know, three laps off course, one car on the front straightaway. I would say maybe not a high likelihood of full course caution. I would like to see it. Yeah, the series needs it right now. They need need a good, clean, fun race to watch. Especially with so much visibility on the season this year from people that have come over from NASCAR and from F1. I don't know how many, like, Reddit race threads I've seen where, like, IndyCar fans are apologizing, being like, it's not usually like this. They're much better. (laughs) Yeah, They usually know what they're doing. This is it's just a new track. They haven't done an over for a while. It's like we're rationalizing our old boomer parents' bad behavior. <laughs> they just don't know any better. It's uh, but I mean it's a good it's, race just so it, it, it's little brother syndrome. You know, cr- I live in Indianapolis. We're very much well aware of little brother syndrome with Chicago nearby. It's classic. <laughs> we just need a good race so that the rest of the world thinks that we know what we're doing over here. I, I mean, this is a 3 p.m. Eastern start time on the NBC mothership. About as close to prime time as auto racing is going to get outside of a you know special event night race or something. That could be prime time. They need to not suck. The eyeballs, the views were way down on Gateway to the point that they're back to drawing less than a one share in the TV race. Something has to change. I know they've just announced the new deal with NBC and all, but I I don't know. You can't suck on network television.
Well, you can, but it's going to make a lot of people unhappy. Uh, yeah, a lot of make goods to your advertisers, which is never a good thing. All right, boys, we're, we've been at this for 45 minutes or so here. Um, I, we do need, there is a couple of, well, I guess one kind of elephant in the room that we do need to address. Um, and then we'll get to our picks and our anchovies and all that kind of fun stuff. Uh, unfortunately, today we lost Robin Miller. And whether you liked him, loathed him, or whatever else in between, I, I don't think there's any way that you can deny that he was the dean of IndyCar journalism. Absolutely. Yeah, it's, it floored me because I saw the racer announcement saying the mailbag was going to be taking a, a break. I was like, oh, man, that sucks. And then, like, like an hour I saw the news. I said in our Discord is that I disagreed with almost everything Robin Miller ever said. But you knew that he loved IndyCar, he lived IndyCar, and as an IndyCar community, we're all better for him being a part of that community and sharing his love of it with the world. And it's it, it it's tough. I mean, it, it's it's really tough, and me being a new fan, you know, I I still appreciate you know him, you know, and you know I would read the mailbag every every Wednesday and disagree and like yell like I'd read it when it first came out like I saw it and I wake up in the morning and I would like <laughs> yell about it going this guy is insane my wife's like half asleep going shut up stop reading it and <laughs> I I you know it just you know his take on IndyCar. It is was one of the last real old school takes on IndyCar in you know in mainstream racing. It'll be messy. Uh, yeah, he's in reading some of the pieces and and in talking to some of the people that I know. It's been it's almost comical to kind of read what the drivers were saying and and you see the statement that comes out. And how much Robin's going to be missed. I guarantee you there is a group of current and former drivers throwing back a bunch of something in his honor. Robin didn't drink, so I don't know that he would be, he, he was not the guy to sit around and, and, you know, throw back a hundred beers with the guys at night. Um, but there's definitely some, you know, snickerdoodles and, and Pepsi floating around Indianapolis. Uh, <laughs> First time I have I met Robin was in the media center at Pocono, and we go in now. We're the new guys and we're locals, so we get the absolute worst seats in the press area, to the point that apparently nobody had occupied that area since IndyCar's return. We were the first locals that wanted to show up to cover the race. Miller walks over to me, and his first thing he looks at me dead in the face and says, who the fuck are you? Amazing. Good to see you too, bud. <laughs> we chat for a little bit, and he's gone, man, I know you're not that young, but man, young blood, that's cool. We we need more of you guys. Mike Joachim from Pit Lane Parley, uh, th there were a handful of what he called younger guys uh, that he just looked at it as, 
we need new blood. We have too many old white guys. We need young white guys to cover this portrait. Um, and it was, it was sort of surreal because I'm telling you, my daughter's working with us. I've got a couple other people. And I said, you know, I, that was like my goal for the weekend was to meet Robin Miller just because the guy's been around forever. And I said, you know, I want to be like you when I grow up. And he goes, what, a degenerate gambler? <laughs> I said, I'm, I'm working on that one. <laughs> to quote, to finish out the story, though, I'm shooting pictures of the starting grid. They're lined up right before gentlemen start your engine, and I'm kind of laying down deep, hoping I can get that like haze shot that comes off the ground, so everything sort of blurs. And he just like he's out there. He had just finished the live hit for NBC, and he kind of like grabs me on the back of the shirt. Stand up, stand up. Okay. I stand up and just listen. Cars fire up. You hear the crowd roars and he looks at me. You have the best fucking job in the world. I went, yes, we do. Like, that was a moment. <laughs> You're standing there on the grid going, this is cool. This is everything we want. There are so many times that we can we can bitch and moan and complain and F Tony George and cart sucks and everything else that's gone on in this sport. We get to talk about something we love and someday maybe cash a paycheck. It's the best. Yes, it is. But with that, we're, we do have a clip that we're going to play from uh, the final episode of Wind Tunnel with Dave Despain, which was absolutely epic. But we're going to do that to close out the show here. Uh, it is time to review, in summary and summation, our picks from one week ago for the Bomberito Auto Group 500 at Worldwide Technology Race. My quick side note, give me your thoughts on this. Jonathan Bomberito gave the command after doing like a 70 second commercial for Bomberito Auto Group. Can we knock that off? Hey, hey, Worldwide Tech knows what Bomberito Auto Group means. No sponsorships uh, in the prayer and the command. How hard is it? He did it at the truck race too. He just sat there and like started talking. And I was like, what are you doing? Just give the command. Like, four words. The four most famous words in motorsports preceded by a 70-second commercial for Bomberito Auto Group. I watch commercials for Bomberito Auto Group. I live in Virginia. <laughs> like, I saw them on TV. If I ever live in St. Louis and need a car, I'll probably go to them. Good job. Let's go. Uh, what yeah, are we doing? Yeah, we're, we're not here for... We are bombarded with advertising in auto racing. We don't need one more. Like, the command should be exciting. I've seen many terrible commands. I think the best one of recent memory, and I don't know if you guys saw this, Tyler Hoover of Hoovy's Garage YouTube channel uh, it was the gave the command for the um, cup race at the Glen, and it just took it to 11, and it was fantastic. I'm all for it. Yeah. Spice it up, light, light, live it up, but you don't need to advertise. I think the uh, big machine spike coolers Grand Prix, same thing. It's like, come on, guys, your name's on the race. You don't need to advertise during the command, too. Yeah, 
They gotta sell the frozen popsicles too. Oh, <laughs> well, I hate big. All right, if Taylor her masters, let's let's go out. back to picks here. Unfortunately, James Watson had to depart early here, uh, so we'll we'll crap on him first. Uh, his actually he may be in contention for a win here. Looking at his loser of the race, he had Alexander Rossi. <laughs> <laughs> he came home P17. I Rossi was dumb. That was definite big smooth move of the race contender by Alexander Rossi. I understand he was trying to get out of the pits as quickly as possible, making sure that he didn't lose ground, etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. Dude, you can't bend the car that way. That's well, I mean, that team has precedent. Uh, RHR did it twice at Iowa, and he still had his job for a couple more years. So, Oh, yeah, he's not going anywhere. Um, <laughs> Mike, just to piss James off, took Will Power, uh, who came home with a solid third-place finish. Well done, Mike. <laughs> uh, I had Marcus Erickson. He finished in the ninth position. So, still looks like James is the winner here because Christian, you are my hero, son. <laughs> Joseph Newgarden, as your <laughs> pineapple of the week, brings it home in victory lane. I should do this more often. <laughs> I'm not. This is why I don't gamble. This is why I do not gamble. <laughs> oh my God. Our level of suck is spectacular sometimes. Uh, okay, going to our winner's picks here. Uh, James had Will Power, who came home with a very solid third-place finish, as already mentioned. Mike, well, here's where the wheels start to come off. You had a terrible week. Bolton Hurdon was your pick to win this weekend. He came home <sighs> 18th. He was until he broke a drive shaft. Uh, yeah, he <laughs> looked good. He looked real good. Still, Man. You know, took a shit. Uh, Christian, oh my God, so close and yet so so far away. Pato Award coming home second for the first <laughs> time in the history of the podcast. We picked a winner. I had Joseph Newgarden as your race winner last weekend, so I will gladly claim that W. That only took three months. Yeah, <laughs> most of us. Can we just mention that we've been going for 45 minutes and we have not once talked about arguably the best story out of Gateway, Romain Rodgon. Yeah, I, I thought about it earlier, but that dude passing people on the high side and the low side, like he had Harry Hogg in his ear telling him that he had a special set of match tires <laughs> was one of the best things I've ever seen. Uh, yeah. My man's looking like an Indy car driver. I was just going to say... That boy looks like he's at home. Oh, yeah. Oh, I can't wait to see him at IMS next next year. I Can you imagine the, the, the 500? Oh, dude, he's going to do it. He looked hooked after that race. And, it, you know, after Jimmy tests at Homestead or wherever he said he's going to, I think it changed. Um, can you imagine how big the headlines will be if we've got this awesome IndyCar field, all of these new teams that show up, and Jimmy Johnson and Romain Grosjean are entered for the Indy 500 in 2022. 
That's I think gonna be, be great. stellar. They need to not have half the race be under caution. Well, tell Scott Dixon to save a little more fuel next time so they don't have to emergency <laughs> stop. <laughs> Uh, yeah, that was actually Grosjean. The thought of him running the speedway sort of scares me because it, they talk about the fact that the, the drivers throughout history have talked about the fact that Indy picks winners. You have to go to the speedway with a certain amount of reverence of this place kill me kind of attitude. We didn't see that on track out of Grosjean. We saw a whole lot of go, go, go. I can put my car anywhere I want. The issues that he had under on cold tires, he's buried neck deep in the outside safer barrier in turn one if he tries some of that stuff. Well, remember Alonzo tried that too, and he lost it off the board going onto the rumble strips. like. Yeah. Like, but that's just he'll have there, to learn it. There's a reason why he wanted to do Gateway to his first oval, and he learned one what the oval tires feel like, two that what racing on an oval in terms of being able to make passes. And yeah, he he made rookie mistakes, but he didn't bury it in a wall like Rossing on cold tires. He didn't hit anyone. He got close. I think he bumped wheels with someone make, making a pass, but. He did above and beyond what we would have expected from him. And, you know, I think it's, you know, the, hopefully there's enough races, you know, ovals next year to, you know, let him, you know, keep working at it for the before Indy. But, all right. Do we think Texas is back or not? Because that's the real question. Because mm. as yeah. of right now, the tentative schedule that we, I think will be the schedule next year. Indy's the first oval on the calendar. With and two Iowa races. There's another thing we didn't talk about. Iowa's back. And we're all going. We are all, all going. I would, I think I've already Mike has a hotel. I, I got a hotel. hotel. Jason has I've got a, a camper rented. Jason's got a camper. I think Wes was booking a hotel. I told my wife we're driving sixteen and a half hours to Iowa. She rolled her eyes at me and said, Fine. <laughs> uh, you know what I, I i lived i mean and i say right outside of des moines for almost two and a half years i still got a lot of friends and probably an open bar tab or two in des moines um <laughs> huh, that weekend gonna be a throwdown for sure as long as and, you don't say an open warrant <laughs> i don't think there's any open warrants <laughs> i'm not totally sure about child support claims so We'll we'll just kind of leave that one lie, but uh, yeah, that one that is a racetrack that IndyCar needs to be at. Uh, yes, that is news that Without I am fairly doubt. certain would have made Robin Miller smile when he heard that on Sunday, uh, because that is a place that it's in your target market. It provides for fantastic racing, and it's a great chance to kill two birds one stone double header do it saturday night sunday afternoon and really sell a weekend and i'm gonna get on my soapbox right here they need to bring the full road to indy they need to have usf 
DM, well, next year it'll be the IP22 and the USF22. They need to have the lights and they need to go all out. And I'm channeling my inner Robin Miller here. They need to have asphalt sprints and they need to have Silver Crown there on the weekend. And they just need to make an absolute lights out six different car classes on the track, action all day long, um, and just make it an extravaganza. Um, that's the, they have to do that. I, I don't disagree. A festival atmosphere is what that race needs. They tried for several years to sell that event as come to the IndyCar race, and we're going to schedule some other stuff around it. And they had the vintage cars, and they, you know, the oddball stuff. That needs to be truly a festival. I think the last, the next to last year I was there, they had silver crowns indie lights and a concert by lone star get out that's why we don't have a phoenix race anymore because they tried to put indycar and like it's the middle of nowhere you go there you have one practice mid-morning you have a second practice or queue in the afternoon and you have literally nothing but wander around a blazing hot parking lot and drink you know, no, there needs to be on-track action all day long. Like, why do you think I love Music City GP so much? Like, literally, from 11 a.m. to 8 p.m., almost in, only on Sunday because the race went so long. But <laughs> they had stuff on track all day long. They got to do that again in Iowa. Yeah, I mean, that's the selling point for me when I tell people, hey, you've got to go check out a race. There's stuff the whole weekend and that's such a hard sell with a lot of the ovals where it's you get IndyCar and you might get a truck race over the weekend you might get an Arca race it's got to be the whole thing it's the full IndyCar weekend is one of the best values in sports for your money NASCAR did that earlier this year and it was a huge success they did that double header at Pocono with Xfinity trucks and arca and they had like four hundred thousand people camped yeah. out over the weekend yeah and one of the biggest crowds in pennsylvania or something crazy yes and uh they rivaled on huge success yes they they surpassed beaver stadium which is the home of the penn state nittany lions one hundred seven thousand strong in that building every saturday um pocono beat that by a very very wide margin but that's what they compete with when they're thinking about ticket sales. And, and that's the stuff that I just didn't get. You went to the last race at Pocono, the last two races, in fact. No support classes. They had the vintage cars. Well, I mean, to be fair, there's not a lot you can put there. I mean, you get crowns or sprints, and unless you're bringing out Arca or... <clears throat> uh, you got to getting... bring something. They yeah, had they had indie lights the one year, and I think they had seven show up. The full field. Uh, well, well it yeah, was. At, the, at the time, yeah, it was pretty close to a full field. It's it, that's one of those deals that you have to find something. I mean, you got to put like a little roval in there. Like you have to figure out something that you can go. Hey, I know it's not a big oval Pocono race, but look, they're running this whole corner of the track, and they're running this. You know what? Well, you can put in a jumpy truck track, right? 
they actually should be trucks to every race. <laughs> they ran a fifth mile at the end of the front, basically right at the end of pit road where it's at its absolute widest. They put a fifth mile oval in there and they ran like TQ midgets and a bunch of stuff like that. That was a pretty cool way to close out the evening. The problem was there was nobody there to see it by that point. They had all left. So I, I don't know if the answer is cut a couple of holes in the pit wall and run a modified race or something. That'd be sweet. I, I don't know. They used to do that years and years ago. They used to run a little three-quarter mile oval right on the front straightaway at Pocono. Um, hey, wait, 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 wait. Why don't, why don't they drag race on the front straight? Uh, they've done that before. That's what they should do. And funny NHRA and IndyCar weekend. Oh, I fixed it. Car time. God almighty. I have great ideas. <laughs> I don't know that I don't know that, that was one of them, but we'll take it. We'll give it to you. Sure. <laughs> Imagine how gripped up the front stretch will be. It'll be awesome. Yes, because that's exactly what they need on restarts. You can run into each other all you want. There's not a chance you're going to take off. All right. Uh, yeah, I, I'm not. I'm not even going near that one. All right, boys. Let's make some picks here. Um, I will go last since I won last week. Uh, Mike, you were pretty terrible last week. Kick us off here. Uh, who is the big loser? Your anchovy of the week. For what? Portland. That one's in September. I gotta make I gotta make my pick now? Yes. But next week is September. All right, fine. It's in two weeks. Yes, it's in, <laughs> All right. yes, uh, it's in two weeks because next week is the road to indie show. All, all right. road to I, indie all the time. Yeah, I don't I don't know what day it is anymore. All right. 17 um, days, 15 hours, Portland. 54 minutes, and 10 seconds All right, away. Portland. I'm picking what? anchovies? Yes. <laughs> All right. Oh, uh, let's see here. Uh, so many drivers to pick from. Uh, who we got here? Oh. Simon Pagano. Why not? Going out on a limb there. That Pagano streak of meh will continue. I will say, though, nice recovery drive after that to come back with an eighth-place finish last week at Gateway. Uh, that could have been pretty disastrous. Yeah, it's not hard when half the fields crashed, right? <laughs> well, hey, he made it That's to my the That's my strategy. He made it Be from slow point runner around the back. Yes. Come home with a solid eighth-place finish every week. That is exactly what the captain loves to see. Um... <laughs> Oh, <laughs> uh, let's see. Oh, uh, Christian, your pick for for anchovy of the week was pretty terrible as well. Um, so no, yeah, you, you can go next. Who's who is the big loser <laughs> this weekend? Um, or in a couple of weeks, whatever. I uh, uh, I think it's gonna be Polo. Any reason? So Pelot's definitely gonna win. <laughs> I think he's gonna get torpedoed. And wouldn't be the first time. And and who does Chip dismember if that happens? 
Are, are you willing to make a pick on the torpedo? No, torpedo. <laughs> um, Palu was the torpedo. <laughs> Sato. That's a good. That's a safe pick. That's, that's a hey, go down on a big limb there. Oh, that's awesome. Uh, Jason, you haven't been here for a while. We'll make you the FNG for the week. Uh, who is your pick to be the pineapple of the week down there in, or up there, whatever, in Portland? Uh, it'd be too easy to say Jimmy, right? Um, so I'm going to say that Rossi uh, collects the anvil of shame again and uh, has a terrible race. Again, kind of chalk so far on the picks. That was yeah, that's true. Uh, okay, hold up. Let me I, let me no, walk that back. No, no, you've already called it. Oh, jeez. You're 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 <laughs> stuck here. So when Alexander Rossi gets a 30 second win, like we know he's perfectly capable of doing, we'll crap all over you too. No, and... we know Power's gonna walk away with this thing. <laughs> ben, who's your pick? Who's gonna suck next weird couple of weeks at, at Portland? Um oof. Uh that's tough. I feel like picking an obvious one is kind of lame, but I'm gonna go with um A Hall. I think he does his usual poor start and then is unable to work his way back up and finishes in fifteen. Wow. Okay. We're gonna mark that one down because if you get that right, we'll send you something something uh my my pick for <laughs> pineapple of the weekend um oh man there, gosh there are so many contenders for this um i'm gonna say renus vk he's been quite frankly not good since his injury and I wonder if he's not harboring some existing uh, injury issues there. Uh, I, I don't know. Renus is definitely off the mark here at this point. Actually, the whole Carpenter team is off the mark at this point. Special picks of the week. And we'll do this one in top-down order, so start thinking here, Ben. The first Sebastian Bourdais Concord Award. That may have to get a graphic of some sort. Who is the driver most <laughs> likely to be airborne this weekend? All right. So I don't think this driver is going to get sent airborne. I think they're going to hit someone and go airborne at Sato. <laughs> I'm doubling down on it. <laughs> so Sato ends up airborne in the wreck that takes out Graham Ray Hall. Oh, Rossi. He's going to torpedo Rossi and go airborne. Ah, okay. Ray Hall will lose poetic. his front wing and finish 15th. That'll be, that would be poetic. It's Portland. Ah, <laughs> uh, Christian, who's, who's uh, going to join the Mile High Club? Uh, I think Erickson <laughs> is going to have a twofer. <laughs> Frequent flyer miles racking up <laughs> for Marsikis Erickson. 
He needs to go and get his Southwest card. <laughs> That's outstanding. Jason, uh, high five uh, in Portland? Um, I'm going to go Scotty Mac. That was Indy, Jason. Yes. <laughs> I'm sticking with the theme. Like, I clearly know what I'm Yes. <laughs> yes, you do. All right, Mike. Who is it? Uh, who's going to be higher than the crowd in Portland? Well, because we've never picked him for anything, and he hasn't done anything all season, I figure I'll give a shout-out to uh, James Hinchcliffe. Uh, fly in the friendly skies. Oh, man. That's who actually who I had marked down as my pick for airborne uh, guy of the weekend here. Um, he won't be carrying those colors this weekend, but he's got a history with the Air Force. I think it might be Connor Daly. We haven't I talked see about it. him much this season either. Except that he's probably out of a job. It's yeah, kind of the most remarkable likely. thing he's got going right now is being out of a job. Yeah. He's got we'll get to that one. On. <laughs> but doesn't that kind of like make him the Robin Miller of race car drivers, though? I mean, Robin oh. famously joked that like he got fired from every job he ever had, right? Yeah. So he's, he's imminently more likable than Robin was, though. <laughs> I don't know. I was kind of an incorrigible kid who grew up reading uh, Robin in the print edition of the star. So, uh, Yes, I, I am that crusty old fart. Miller's actually not that unlikable once you get back past the fact that he just treated everybody like a shithead. But that, that was Miller. If he wasn't shitting on you, he didn't like you. Uh, <laughs> all right. It is time to pick our winners. Um We'll start with Christian. Who who takes home the roses in the G.I. Joe's 200? I think it's going to be Dixon. Not a bad chalk pick. Currently sitting fourth in points, and he does need to kind of get his act together if he's going to take title number seven. Uh, no better place than Portland. A lot of history at portland too for dixon uh let's see we'll go to mike who do you got marcus derrickson so we've got one <laughs> christian has him joining the mile high club you've got him winning the race no one says he can't do both <laughs> yay wrong quite quite true yay there. wrong <laughs> <laughs> Uh, ben, who are you taking for your pick to win? I'm going to go with Colton Herta. Um, he's been fast there before, and he's been fast like every single race recently, but he's enough out of all of them. And I think he can change that. He can do it. Because doggone it, people like me. Jason. <laughs> <laughs> who do you want for Who do you want for your race winner? <laughs> oh jeez. Um and this is a tough one. I've actually been going back on like three or four different um guys, but I'm gonna say that 
Chen, I don't know. Um, <laughs> who who is it that's in fifth in points? It's Eric. Not that's Erickson. Yes, Mark Erickson. I'm going to say, did somebody already pick Erickson to win? Yeah, I did. Yes. Oh, yeah, okay. Mike's got Damn it. it. Um, <laughs> then I'm going to say something crazy is going to happen, and Scott Dixon is going to be the only guy two pit stop races is going to win on fuel mileage. Well, that would be great, but Christian's already got him. So, come up with some. Sorry, I'm trying to do three things. Jeez. Um, let me guess. Somebody took willpower, too? Uh, no, you could be James Watson for the week. Yeah, I'll be James Watson for the week. I, would, okay. I, thought, I thought somebody took power. That's why I didn't say power. <laughs> uh, willpower currently sitting ninth in points. He's got 315. He's 120 back. I think you're approaching mathematically out of the championship race, or at least very, very close to it. There's, what, 165 to go? So, uh, like, he'd have to max point all three of them to even have a shot. Correct. Saying there's a chance. I, <laughs> I, I am going to take a guy that we have not mentioned his name hardly at all tonight which quite frankly is a disservice to him considering he's your points leader. Pato Award, Arrow McLaren SP gets off the close enough is good enough shtick. Uh, <laughs> he was, you know, obviously very good at Gateway, but they have not had that race winning field in quite a while. Uh, I think that changes in two weeks when they head to the Grand Prix of Portland on September well that's going to wrap things up then for this edition of pizza at the pagoda uh coming up next week's show will be all road to indy all the time we're gonna have a bunch of us down here at new jersey motorsports park we'll actually have some driver interviews uh that we'll be bringing to you and and a whole bunch of other stuff as well so you don't want to miss that one for sure the following week after the Labor Day holiday weekend, we'll do the Silly Season show where we'll prognosticate and do our best attempt to set what the grid will look like for the 2022 season. Before we close out the year, heading to the Grand Prix of Portland, follow it up with the Firestone Grand Prix of Monterey at Laguna Seca. That one coming up on Sunday, September 19th. And the accurate Grand Prix of Long Beach, September 26th, back to back to back on the West Coast to round out the season. But with that, we're going to wrap things up here. Say thank you, everybody, for listening and hanging out with us here. We really appreciate it. Uh, we're going to play the clip here now from Robin Miller and the final episode of Wind Tunnel with Dave Despain. Uh, two and a half minutes or so of absolute comedy gold. Uh, Robin, thank you very much. Whether people loved you or hated you, job well done, sir. Rest easy, bud. But with that, we're out of here. Have a good night, everybody. <laughs> Guess what? Don't start. Let me tell you something. I'm going to hit you in the nuts. Did you hit your head when you were bull riding? How in the hell do you practice a monster truck? Would you fly with Jack Roush? I learned from the best how to be grumpy. Milka who? I'm going scissor. What do I got to do? It's a Sunday night. It's wind home. After I get fired here, I'll need a job. What's wrong with me? <laughs> Miller, that, that's a great question. What is wrong with you? <laughs> Been hanging around racetracks all my life. No excuse. <laughs>
<laughs> Elaborate on that. We're in a reflective mood tonight. Tell us about the path that led you to this final episode of a canceled TV show. Well, think about it. I've been watching racing for 50 years. I've been writing about it for 45. For the last 15, I've been on various television shows, even though I've got a face for radio. <laughs> I got to drive midgets and USAC for eight or nine years. I got to be an Indy 500 pit crews. I've, you don't have to tell me about how great my life has been. I understand when you can combine your job and your passion, it's very rare. But uh, other than that, I think the other thing that's really been good about my life, the last 10 years here on Lynn Tunnel, because you've given me a forum to help promote promising kids like A.J. Amendinger, Danica Patrick, Kyle Larson, but also give me time to reminisce about my buddy Jim Herdebees, Bentley Warren, and Andy Granatelli. <laughs> Now, you know I can't read a teleprompter. We've been over that. But I appreciate you letting me share this desk, telling stories, pointing out the good, bad, and the ugly of racing. But I really feel bad for the fans of sports cars, midgets, sprints, dragsters, motorcycles, and indie cars because there's no more wind tunnel. It joins Motor Week Illustrated, Speed Week, RPM Tonight, and Speed News in the television graveyard. <laughs> graveyard L, that's the uh, Racing TV Hall of Fame. <laughs> One last thing, I can't imagine you showed up here uh, after this cynical life without some hatred in your heart. Got a lot of hate. I hate the way ABC ruins an IndyCar race. I hate Michael Waltrip's act. The fact that nobody re recognizes Scott Dixon on the street. I hate spotters. I despise the talking heads in NASCAR that scream and rave about a driver that's 15th having a great run. I hate the fact USAC's still a well-kept secret. I hate saving fuel. I hate the fact Phoenix and Elkhart Lake aren't IndyCar schedules. I really hate paddle shifters. I despise, I despise those 10-lap questions for towing. <laughs> but let's not let's not leave it on such a down note. It's our last show. There must be something you still love about racing. Well, I love the Chili Bowl. I love having lunch with Koonsman, Poncho, Merle and Gary Bentonhausen, the Big Bopper, Bubby Jones, Steve Chassie, Bill Vukovic. Here and there lies every Friday. I love midgets and dirt, midgets and sprint cars on dirt cars. And most of all, I love calling Dan Gurney and Parnley Jones in the middle of the day on a Tuesday just talking about the old days. <laughs> you know, Miller, I think actually your life turned out okay. Thank you for everything and happy birthday, Parnelli Jones. 80 years young tomorrow, oldest 500 winner. Thanks, Rufus. <laughs>